Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast. It is Thursday morning. Eric Newman, New York. BJ Armstrong, LA. Um, I thought we'd be talking playoffs this week. We're talking uh, something a whole lot more important, BJ. Uh, Before we welcome our guest to the show, your initial reaction to the players not playing on Wednesday during the NBA playoffs? Well, you know, this is part of the equation. And, you know, what I've uh, what I've learned being in the NBA is you learn to expect the unexpected. So, you know, we'll see how this play out, plays out. We will try to get a better understanding of the, the that the demand of the players and move forward and uh, see where this goes from here. But uh, I think it's great that the players feel they have a voice. I think it's great that the players know that they can speak and speak loudly and that people will hear them. So um, I think it's great that they decided to get together with the coaches and the union and, and the league and begin the process of moving forward, doing what they see is necessary to move forward and um, and express themselves how they want to express themselves. BJ, safe to say uh, each show feels like we're witnessing a new historical happening to get into, whether it's something we're excited about on the court, which we had the pleasure of getting back into uh, for a number of weeks, but more so things happening off the court. And uh, Chris Maddox of SI Sports Illustrated is uh, kind enough to join us this morning. It's Thursday, obviously huge news coming out of the bubble Wednesday afternoon into the evening. So I won't waste any more time. Chris, what's the latest from the bubble and what's this experience been like for you the last 24 hours? Well, it's been surreal to say the least the last 24 hours. I mean, sitting in that arena yesterday afternoon uh, for over three hours while the Bucks congregated in the locker room right in front of me and in front of a handful of other reporters that were there. It was just an an unbelievable experience, just watching kind of what was, what was unfolding there. And when they finally came out and gave their statement and the NBA canceled uh, the games, uh, you knew this was kind of a moment that you'd remember for, for a really long time Uh, where we're at right now, Thursday morning remains really unclear. I mean, the players met for several hours last night. The coaches were part of the meeting early. The players sat down and, you know, hashed out some things later on. There was 
I, I don't know if I want to call it like an official vote because I, I don't believe it was like, you know, teams saying I'm playing, not playing. But the Lakers and Clippers uh, were two of the teams that said that, you know, they would vote to go home if it came to that. Uh, but as we sit here, nothing's really been resolved. There are going to be more player meetings today. There's going to be a board of governors call today. And uh, maybe there'll be some clarity. I, I don't believe we'll have games today. I think that's off the table at this point. Uh, but anything beyond that, as we speak right now, is a little bit unclear. No, Chris, is there were there any indication that something was going to happen like this? Or was this you're coming to the arena, you're coming to kind of as you guys are settling into the routine down there in the bubble? Were there any indications the day before or prior to you getting to the arena that would say that the players were going to even think of doing something like this, let alone actually uh, complete it? You know, BJ, there you had a feeling that something could happen. And if I would but if I was going to target the game where it would happen, it would have been the Celtics and the Raptors who had been really the most publicly impacted by all this. I mean, the Raptors they've carried a heavy burden for the last couple of weeks. I mean, the body cam footage that was released of the incident with Masai Ujiri really resonated with a lot of these players um, uh, over the last couple of weeks. And then you have what happened with Jacob Blake. And, you know, being around them, you could tell that they were thinking some things. The Celtics were definitely thinking some things as well. So I believe that anything that was going to happen was going to happen on Thursday. But you still had in the back of your mind that Milwaukee might decide to do something. Of course, you know, Milwaukee's just 45 minutes away from Kenosha. This happens quite literally in their backyard. So you wondered what they were going to do. But when the magic came out on the floor, I think a lot of people believed, right, or whatever was going to happen, it wasn't going to be a boycott. But as time went by and you didn't see the Bucks come out on the floor, you started to to believe that, that you started to realize that, okay, maybe they weren't going to do it. And then you started to wonder, exactly what was going on because we get when we when we walked to the back bucks players were in uniform like so whatever had happened happened after they got dressed like they didn't come here with the intention not to play you know all the players that were in that locker room the only times they came out was to use the restroom which is around the corner and every single player that came out came out in uniform so something happened in like the the half an hour that you have or an hour that you have when you get to the arena uh, before you get dressed and go out there onto the floor. So something happened in that locker room that was not widespread because Orlando, as I said, was out there on the floor and just about 100 yards away at the other venue, there were Oklahoma City players out on the floor warming up. Chris Paul was out on the floor warming up. So... uh this really was a, a unilateral decision by the players in Milwaukee to sit this game out. You know, because uh, I got another question. You you use the term boycott. Are they? What are they? Are they boycotting against the NBA? Are they with the events that have happened? Can we just clarify from your perspective, or as you understand it, what what are they actually? Are they boycotting? Are they protesting? Can you clarify as as best you can at this particular time? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like boycotts become a word that we kind of reflexively use. It's not really the right one. I mean, mm-hmm. I've kind of looked it up in the last 12 hours. Like, I think Wildcat Strike 
is one <laughs> right, that, right, right. Like it's it's really more of an appropriate term. We just kind of yes. reflexively go to boycott because okay. it's it's almost easier to to understand. I, I'll be honest. What whatever they're doing and whatever decision they made, it has become it, it's kickstarted something that nobody's really sure how it ends. And one of the problems that I think some players have right now is that what the Bucks decided to do on their own, there wasn't really a plan for. There isn't there isn't a next step that was clearly laid out that everybody understood. So they're trying to to figure this out on the fly. And some players that I've talked to that are kind of sifting through this in real time have said, like, all right, we did this. Since we did it, does does it make sense to to not do anything else? I mean, is it really that impactful if we just sit out for one game? If we put the league off for two days, is that enough of a message that's been sent? Is that enough reason to do it? So now that Milwaukee has kind of put the league or put the players in this position, there are players that are wondering, you know, what do we do now? What 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 more do we do? Because I don't think that the Bucks. I think they felt they had to do this, justifiably so. They they what happened happened right in their backyard, but I don't think it was thought out what happens next, and that's kind of where players are at right now. And, and Chris, you you started to answer part of my next question, and that is, what actions are we going to be led to here? A 24-hour, 48-hour, 72-hour boycott of games is not going to create the action needed to enact whatever needs to happen for these changes to happen, which, you know, that's what those changes are. That's the next part of our conversation. But I think a lot of players in the lead-up to the bubble and many conversations that I've had, whether it was with Barnes or Stack or other guys interviewing on something else and getting their thoughts and their concern is, well, what is the big plan? We know how we feel. We know what's going on. We know what's being captured on camera. We know what's being politicized. But how do we get two, three, four, five steps down the line here? And you just hit on it with, okay, the Bucks pull this immediate thing. What's that conversation like last night? Or what are you learning from that conversation last night about ideas where teams, players, ownership, communities can all really start to band together to create some of these needed changes, whether locally it, or federally? It's a good question, and it doesn't have a clear answer. One person in the room for these uh, the meeting last night, you know, and I'll paraphrase a little bit, said effectively that players want you know cha- immediate changes to problems that have been centuries in the making. And it's understandable how they're feeling. It's just the answers they want and the issues they want resolved or addressed, it's just almost impossible to do in a short period of time. I mean, two things that came up uh, a lot in that meeting last night were somehow, some way, getting more work done on voting. That's obviously a big issue for many players in the in the huddle, in the bubble, rather. Uh, somehow, some way, doing more for police reform. That came up uh, from a lot of players that I was told uh, in the bubble last night. And players have, what they've done is kind of turned around and put a lot of this on ownership at this point. What they want 
and I tweeted this last night, is that they want an action plan from owners to advance some of the things that that they're that they're passionate about, what they that they believe in here. And I, I can say this like owners owners have kind of turned around and the ownership sources I've talked to in the last 12 hours, one of the things they've said is what more are we expected to do? Um, you know, their position has been that they have been fully supportive of everything the players have wanted to do since they got down here in the bubble. They have uh, supported uh, the, the, uh, the messages in the back of jerseys. They have supported players uh, in taking the uh, a knee during the protest um, and they have contributed money. I mean, they have, you know, there was a couple of weeks ago, they, there was an announcement of the $300 million, uh, to empower black businesses and, and other things in, in the black community. They've, they believe they've done stuff. They believe they've, they've done their part in all this. And they're kind of going to kind of wondering what more do we, uh, do, do players want us to do? And I mean, I, I kind of tweeted out something like that last night and I got hit back pretty hard from people that believe owners should just you know, donate every nickel they have to every cause humanly possible and and stop uh, associating with anybody on the Republican side of the aisle. I, I personally have a bit of a problem with that position. I, I don't, I find some of the things that politicians say reprehensible, but I, I don't know that in this country we can tell people who to be friendly with or we can tell people uh, what to necessarily do with their money. So it's it sort of, it, it's kind of created at least for now, a bit of a divide amongst uh, players and owners. The players want action from owners, and some owners are sitting there saying, "We've we've given you action. We've we've provided uh, things for you. What what more do you want us to do?" How how has the communication been with the union, the league, and the players? Have they? Has it still, are they still communicating in a way of still trying to work in a collaborative spirit or are you beginning to detect any tension or anything? I know it was just one meeting, but it seems so much has happened since last night. How's the communication been with those three parties? I think the communication has been pretty good. Uh, I think the relationship between the players, the union and the league um, has been fairly strong we know the relationship is strong between Adam Silver and Chris Paul. We know uh, that the working relationship has been excellent with Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver. And I don't think that what's happened in the last 48 hours has changed that. One thing I would say, BJ, is Adam Silver's not here and Mark Tatum's not here. And that's something that it's been brought up to me a few times in the last uh, 48 hours. I mean, I'm not entirely sure that boots on the ground from the two most you know, powerful people in the NBA would have changed anything. But I do think it's important to have the most powerful people in the league in this bubble and and part of this experience to to understand what players are going through because the bubble has exacerbated things. You know, the, the, the tension that players are feeling right now, a lot of it comes from, you know, the two months that basically spent inside this this bubble or in isolation away from their friends and families it's exacerbated and you know i don't think that adam silver or mark tatum can truly understand what players are feeling and how they're feeling it without being down here that's been brought up to me you know by a few people in the last last couple of days that you know look most nba teams sent their top basketball executives down here 
Like the, the, the top GMs or the president, whether it's Masai Ujiri or Sam Presti or, or whoever, they're in the bubble because uh, Lawrence Frank, because in part, uh, they believe that what their players are experiencing, they have to experience as well. Like they have to be here and understand what they're going through. Uh, the fact that Silver and Tatum are not here, I don't want to say it's a problem, but it, it's been noticed. And and I, I wonder if that becomes an issue moving forward. Yeah, and as good as that leadership has been in a moment like this, you want to have people in the same room, especially with what you shared about uh, that meeting last night. So, you know, one thing you just... And, and the, problem, to- the problem is, the problem too, I would say, is like, it's not like Silver can get on a plane and get down here tomorrow. Like, there are protocols you have to go through. Like, you have to, you get down here, and even if he's been tested every day, since then, you have to do at least four days or, you know, 30. I, I don't know. You, you can't just fly down here and get in a meeting right away. You can do it virtually, but there's a difference to that. And, and I can tell you, I mean, the, the I mean, for some people, the bubble's pretty easy. Like, like I would just use myself as an example. Like, I'm not married. I have no life anyway. Like sitting in a <laughs> like in, like living in a 300 square foot room for somebody that lived in New York for 15 years is not all that different from day to day life. I got to tell you. But for other people uh, who are used to different things who are closer to young kids and young family. I mean, I can't tell you the number of players that I've seen. You know, I spend most of my days in the Coronado Springs where the three practice floors are because that's where the action is. And I see a lot of players and coaches walking up and down. Um, More often than not, I see players on their phones FaceTiming with their children. I saw Giannis FaceTiming with his young son, Liam, just uh, I believe it was yesterday now or the day before. Uh, you know, not being around your family just it it becomes burdensome. And and I would tell you too, you know, in the next you know few days, there are scheduled to be a whole bunch of people kind of unleashed onto this bubble, like new people coming in with their friends or family or staffers or whatever. I, I can't speak for every player, but some that I've talked to see that as uh, some like a, a something of, of a consternation of dread. Like they're in this bubble and they're not having a good time at all. And I don't think players. I'm not sure I'm saying this right, but I don't think players want to see new people come into the bubble like it's a vacation and like have all this excitement about being here. They're not excited about being here. They're they're feeling like, all right, we're here. We're trying to get through this. It's it's like a battle trying to get through this every single night. We don't want you know play people running around thinking it's like a, a vacation. That that's something to keep in mind too as the days and weeks move forward. As people get released into this bubble, what was once believed to be something of maybe a good thing, I don't think is viewed quite the same way. That's a, that's a great point. And, you know, when the concept was introduced, of course, it was, okay, how do we utilize this as a platform for this messaging? So we've seen the messages on the jerseys. We've seen the statements before and during the anthem. We've had many pressers where guys will just say justice for Breonna Taylor, arrest the officers, et cetera, et cetera. So up until Wednesday, from what you've experienced and learned, How has the whole platform for messaging and to help drive that change forward, how how was that going before this, of course, giant step that we saw take place Wednesday? I think it was going okay. Um, I had noticed from talking to players, and Jalen Brown said this to me a couple of days ago, there had been – they'd noticed that since the playoffs started that – the message was kind of getting drowned out more. It was much stronger early on, but in the last uh, week or two, it, it hadn't been quite as as impactful. At least that's what 
what some players have thought. And Jalen, of course, is you know not only a top level player but a union vice president, so he's got the ears, uh, the ear of of many players. Um, and part of the things that players are looking for moving forward is is just something to to have something that will be able to allow them to get the get their message out as strong as they felt it was getting out in the first couple of days and weeks something they want something to change something new to be introduced into this environment that will allow them to uh to 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 continue pushing uh this movement forward the problem is and BJ, I don't know if you've heard anything differently, but I don't, I, I don't know if they know what that is at right, this point. Right. Like, what I exactly is the demand right now? You know, if it's, there is it's a not, demand, it's 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 very hard. And I've you know specifically asked, and I give some media members credit on some of these Zoom calls I've listened to. Like some media members have asked, like, you know, I, I think they asked uh, somebody asked Fred Van Vliet, like, what what should we do? Like, what what more do you need from us to help get your message across? And it just there really isn't an answer. And and I it's it's a frustration. I I I, can, I can't understand it because I haven't lived Fred sure. Van Vliet's life. I haven't done any of that. But I I get it. I I I certainly understand. I believe what they're saying. It just you know I I don't know I don't know what what more can be done here because the reality of of this country is that. In three days or three weeks or three months, the exact same thing that happened to George Floyd, the exact same thing that happened to Jacob Blake could happen again. And, you know, I, I don't, maybe, maybe I was, I don't want to use the word naive, but like, right. you know, players, you know, maybe they thinking that, you know, being down here for a month and a half and putting their message out as strongly as they did, uh, maybe thinking that was going to change anything immediately anyway, uh, wasn't right because, you know, the, the, what's if there's change going to happen, and we all hope that it does. If there cha- is change that's going to happen, it's going to take a lot longer, and it's going to have to be systematic, and it's going to have to begin in November with these elections. Like that, that's when change, you know, really starts to fundamentally begin. And I think players, maybe in the aftermath of what happened in Wisconsin, are are kind of coming to grips with that. You, you know, Chris made some some great points here, and I guess the the big question is moving forward. What do you see? These players, what are they going to do? Do you think they will stop playing? Do you think they will resume playing? And then the second part to that question, Chris, is what is the economic ramification of both as we move forward? Because that was the whole idea of one of the reasons to come down to Orlando and give this a try in the first place, right? So what do you see moving forward as we kind of see from all the events that have transpired over the last, you know, 24 hours? Yeah, two, two important questions. And I, I don't believe that the league stops. I think something is going to happen in the next 24 to 48 hours that will be enough to convince players that that they want to play. And a lot of that's guesswork because we're still kind of in, in the middle of, we, have, we haven't had the Board of Governors call yet. And as we speak, meetings are, quite literally happening inside this bubble. But I, I just believe there are enough players that want to finish this uh, that, that it will ultimately uh, get finished. I think that's, that's first and foremost. I do think that we'll have some players leave. I do think you? there are enough, I, I think there are enough players that for very reason, you know, this like players don't speak with one voice on anything on all this. They didn't speak with one voice about, 
their feelings about coming down here. You know, some people had family issues, some people had health issues, some people had social justice issues. But um, I, I do think there, I don't know how, what number, but I do think you'll see some players ultimately decide to leave. And what kind of impact that has, uh, I don't know yet. Uh, if this comes apart, it's Armageddon. It's financial Armageddon is, is what it is. It's going to lead to the uh, you know, dis- complete dissolvement of the collective bargaining agreement. It could lead to a work stoppage beginning next year. And I, I say that I want like more immediately. And I want to be careful when I say I, I don't say this to put any pressure on players because I think they have to do what they have to do. But we've seen layoffs uh, from NBA teams already. I think more of that's coming. I think a lot of low-level people would lose their jobs. That's just a reality of the economic situation. If this if this season doesn't finish and the NBA doesn't reap the financial benefits from the season finishing, I think that a lot of teams will uh, furlough or lay off a lot of staffers. And we've seen that happen publicly. It happened with Orlando. Uh, it drives me crazy to a degree when I see billionaires laying off $55,000 a year workers. It's It, it is really, really uh, bugs me. Uh, but Orlando happened publicly. It has happened on other teams. I know that for sure. Um, and I think it happens in a larger scale if if this season uh, doesn't finish. Again, it's not to you know say the players, not to put any kind of pressure on the players do it. Like that, they're two separate issues that are going on here. But that's that's part of the consequences of of this thing kind of falling apart. It really does become uh, financial Armageddon for the NBA. The trickle-down effect here and the lives affected and the lives that the public doesn't know about who work for these teams, these arenas, these organizations, um, it's it's tough to think about. It's tough to think about how people rely on the league and these agreements and these contracts. And you, of course, mentioned the TV dollars. I can't help to think, and this is a, a bigger conversation that we can hopefully continue another time. Um, you know, you think about you have 20, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, there's two teams in New York City, there's two teams in LA, so that leaves 28 markets. That leaves 28 cities, 28 communities where ownership resources, player presence resources, the networks and communities that they've built around them. That to me is a place to start to do this work. And you, you said it at the top. I mean, the most recent incident is 45 minutes outside Milwaukee. The Sterling Brown incident is less than two years old. That happened uh, in that community as well. Um, let me ask you something, Chris. Doc Rivers, obviously one of the great leaders of the sport. Doc Rivers, uh, a man who was raised by uh, a police officer, his father a cop in Chicago. Uh, the words he had Tuesday night, uh, how much do you think those words, those emotions, that passion then led to what we've now seen the last 24 hours? Well, it, it certainly resonated. Um, and Doc Rivers' words, you know, whether it was in that meeting last night or the things he said publicly the night before um, in the aftermath of the Clippers' win, I mean, they had an effect on everybody, on people listening, on people in the locker room. Um, they had an effect. Doc has been, Doc has been pretty clear that he believes that staying and playing is the most impactful way to be an agent of change. He believes that the platform that the players have 
and the voices that they have that are only going to get magnified in the weeks to come. I mean, attention, you know, the, the deeper the NBA goes in the playoffs, the more attention people pay to it. And, you know, the bigger the audience, the more of an opportunity players will have uh, to influence people. And that's been part of Doc's message throughout over the last last couple of days. So his position on that has been has been pretty clear. I mean, he's tremendously bothered by by what's what's going on around the country and people I know you guys know that no Doc Rivers story. I mean, he's experienced racism on every level, whether it's, you know, growing up or in his own personal relationship with his wife or with his kids. I mean, in college at Marquette, I mean, this is all deeply personal to Doc Rivers. Uh, but Doc's position um his belief is that you know being here is important, and and, and using your platform here is important. I think that's something that that certainly has stuck with a, a section of players. So, Chris, just to close it out, it's Thursday morning. There's a meeting going on right now. The Bucks did something in the moment. The other teams followed suit. Other players are speaking out. They're trying to figure out what to do. What's realistic in terms of when we hear something concrete about what's going to happen next? I think at the earliest, it's in the evening. And I think two things are important to watch. One, do players in the next 12 hours or so come away with an action plan that NBA owners can look at and say, we can do this? You know, do, do players put something in writing or do they present something tangible that owners will say, yes, we're on board? I think owners want to do what do what players want. I think the majority of them want to be a part of this movement. They want to be a part of, of helping to create change in this country. Uh, it, it can't be abstract, though. It can't be do more or give all your money away or stop, you know, defund the police or don't ever give to, to police organizations ever again. You can't, I, I don't believe you can operate in abstracts like that. I, I think it has to be specific. And if it is specific, I think owners will be willing to go along with it. I, I don't think they're, they're sitting back saying, you know, we're not, we, we're done. I don't think they're washing their hands and saying, we, we did everything we can. We're done. I think they want to help, but it's got to be specific and it's got to be something that that they can all get on board with. And I think so players coming up with that action plan and owners having that board of governors meeting and any subsequent meetings uh, and agreeing to go along with that, if that happens, it, it could be tomorrow when we're back on the court. If it doesn't happen, uh, this could turn into, and again, we, we kind of tinker with the language, it could turn into a prolonged strike that extends into Friday, maybe into the weekend, and then who knows from there. So I think the next 12 to 24 hours are going to be incredibly important for the immediate future of the NBA. Chris, thanks so much. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, really appreciate it. I know you're going to be busy. Uh, get some rest, my friend. Uh, I got a, I got a hunch that uh, you're going to be a busy man. And uh, thanks again for, for sharing some time. Yeah, my pleasure Chris, guys. Appreciate it. Documenting history for us. Uh, very important, very insightful. And uh, BJ, send him some workout gear. Okay. He's got a, he's <laughs> I definitely yeah, you got yeah. BJ, we're BJ, we're we're about we're about yeah. You know, what six foot six or one? What's around the? I, I can take you got you got some you know old bulls or hornet stuff, man. Just send it. I'll wear anything at this. Okay, <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. All right, BJ. Um, 
if you told me when we started working together on this that this is where we'd be, I would uh, I'd ask what spaceship we'd have to get on to get there. But um, hearing Chris talk about all of these things and imagining what it's like to experience it firsthand, I mean, it's 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 pretty surreal. But I mean, hat off to him. That was uh, some powerful stuff and some great info. I've got to ask you. You know, where are you at with what you continue to see in communities across the country and the steps the players have taken in the last uh, 24 hours? Well, very quickly, and I'm just trying to keep this short, is you can never underestimate the human condition. And we get so caught up into our heroes and athletes and things that we project. The truth of the matter is, is that, you know, everyone is experiencing this in their own way. And you have these young people, for the most part, who are down in a isolated environment, and they're experiencing this. So and I think this is the human condition that we have to be aware of. And being an ex player, I, I, I understand that currently being an agent, I experienced that. So for me, this is part of the, this is part of the, the, the agenda. This is part of the deal that we don't see. And, and I think you're, ex, you're seeing these young people express themselves outwardly in a way that we probably normally wouldn't expect. Certainly with the pandemic, we probably wouldn't see. And this is part of the equation, and this is part of what is going on in this particular moment in time. And um, it's been fascinating to watch, and it's it'll be, you know, I know you and I and the rest of the, the rest of the sporting world, the world, I think, outside of the sporting world, will be watching tentatively to kind of see how this plays out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's uh, take a step back, and you think about the year, as you said, and. Thank goodness the NBA acted as it did on March 11th with halting games and uh, making sure players, staff, fans, media were all uh, going to be safe and not wasting a moment. And now the players take it upon themselves to make a major statement here in wake of another uh, unfortunate, violent tragedy that shouldn't have happened and easily could have been helped. So. Uh, we'll leave it at that for today. I appreciate you getting up early West Coast time and uh, getting into uh, Kareem Will Chamberlain mode behind you and uh, and doing this this week. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's great that we're able to do this each week. It was great seeing you on the, uh, the virtual fan cam over the weekend last week, too. It's a little... Little, little envious of that that arena vibe you had going on. <laughs> but, Be more than um, happy. It's all yours. I just kept a seat no, warm just for you. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It was your, it was your, it was your spirit in there. But no, seriously, I, I, I realize we all have different thoughts, feelings, emotions, and reactions to what's going on, and um, you being able to plug in and, and share yours, and spend the time, and share your experiences. Obviously, I've never walked in your shoes. Um, all I want to do is learn and lend my talents, skills, resources, and passion to help. So 
the more of these convos we could have, the more people like Chris we could have on to get information out there and learn uh, things that he's absorbing from down there, the better. So thank you, my friend. Uh, we'll speak to you uh, very soon. Special thanks to producer Mike Lieber, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Tom Phillip, and the entire Pure Hoops media family. Check out the Mike Wise Show dropping each and every Monday. Full Court Press with John Fanta and Kim Adams talking college ball every Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Every Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure bring you buckets, boards, and blocks. And Fridays, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman. Please check out all of our shows. Subscribe, download, rate, review, and most importantly of all, share and enjoy. See you next week. Pure Hoops podcast. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay pure. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.